everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Monday night, we are back. The trio is here. As always, you guys missed the good old-fashioned B-match fistfights. Uh, we're actually not a fistfight, more like trash-talking. Uh, Bickler wasn't there, so you guys can determine who we were trash-talking about. But I am your host, as always, here in Chicago, uh, where it feels like, the weather feels like, when you go out in, like, outside in october or something and you're like oh man winter is here summer is over i guess kind of a weather so i'm loving it for february to have this weather over here but good days are ahead hopefully it won't get ridiculously brian says enjoy all that snow so i'm assuming you don't have such good news galley yeah supposedly we're getting smashed up with a storm there is one coming up here but like you know as I listened to the radio this morning and had like the dueling weather stacks where there were like three different weather people all giving you the same goddamn forecast for the same area. And one was like two to six, one was eight to 12 and one was like Armageddon is coming. Um, I don't buy any of it. Now they're talking like we might only get two to three inches where I live, which is what I'll be rooting for minus the two to three inches. I think it makes better news when they say eight to twelve because you're like you're like turn it on, turn it on. What is she saying? Eight to twelve. That's why you know, like you turn it on and do it that way. Speaking of getting all smashed up and smashed down and stuff, Bickler is with us. Bickler, what's happening? I'm here. I made it. It's just rainy and disgusting down here. That's it. <laughs> it's always good when the when Paul of all people mentions it and is like, "Are we still on <laughs> on Discord?" <laughs> Totally forgot to send that invite today, but it is what it is. So there's a you're, lot to talk we're about. Literally, we're going to literally get a weather update from every single state across the entire nation at some point during this podcast history. And I am all for it because now we got people chiming in with the Midwest weather. We got people jumping in with weather updates. Alan was giving us a weather update before we went live. Alan figured out how to comment on this show before we actually got through the intro, which I thought was pretty outstanding in itself. Yeah, so he has like chili. I, I don't know how that's chili. Fifty-two, probably chili for Houston, I'm sure. But and then yeah, Steve is actually in our in my vicinity. I think it's like Rockford area or somewhere around there. So yeah, we're having like some really really. Much, it's almost iffy. I feel like suddenly in March we're gonna get like twenty inches or something. It's gonna slap us upside the head. But uh slapping upside the heads trivia time. Let's do some trivia. This is actually um, I had to. When BJ first sent it to me, and I was like, you do realize who I do the podcast with, right? So you do have to kind of like narrow this down a little bit. So this is what we just narrowed down to. <clears throat> there have been 130 seasons, right, since Liverpool was founded in 1894. That includes seasons canceled due to the two world wars. How many seasons was the league play officially canceled during this period? What? In yes. 130 years, counting the two then, years that they didn't I, play. I just imagine the original. <laughs> so, so there was I guess we can reward it this way. Due to the world wars, how many seasons were lost by being canceled out? Oh. I'm going to show my ignorance in both math and world history. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's like two. I genuinely have no fucking clue. I'm gonna say like, I feel like it's gotta be like eight, but I I'm gonna say eight. 
I should have just said seven. I wanted to get it out of the, the way. Fun. Normally, Victor gets the first dib. I throw no, no, no. I, I want to. One of these world wars is significantly longer than the other. I'm just trying to think. I am thoroughly impressed by your guys' knowledge of history uh, so far. Am I shocked? No. Impressed? Well, yes. <laughs> I think one one of these world. I know one is four years. That's smart man right there. Knowing when he's wrong. Four. Seven. I'm going to go – I'm going to go – I think I think this 10 years of wars is right, but I think there's an additional year in there that – I'm going to go 11. Damn, Bickler, look at that. Because not only you nailed it, like you actually put thought into it, which was even more impressive than nailing it. Calculated it on everything. 11 years. I like how Mateusz and Steve are like – for those of you guys who don't know what the world war is, this is when it was kind of a deal. Yes, so 1516 to 1819, so four seasons for World War One, and then seven seasons actually for World War Two from 3940 all the way through 46. Uh, so they were all war cancellations. I thought there was maybe one more year of like some random thing, you know, they are all like war related. Uh, right. and fun fact over here. Steve says he was a history minor, but you, yeah, he did guess 10 at least. So look at that. Victor was a history major. Uh, not close. Really, but close. English. <laughs> what was your major? English. <laughs> Same thing. You go back to school for eight more years or take $35,000 of your teaching. Um, yeah, actually, and I hear another fun fact over here. In the first season that played after World War II, which is 46-47, Liverpool won that season. Yeah. So actually, it wasn't. I thought so it was we just need, a lot rougher. So we just need another world war, and we'll get back on top. <laughs> I get it. That wasn't the moral of the story, but sure, <laughs> why not? Why not? Indeed. Okay, so here we go with uh, oh, look at this uh, history degree majors are uniting uh in the chats over here. They were like classmates finding each other years later, which is actually possible they're both in chicago land over here uh, a couple of things to get to uh, a lot happening obviously uh even though there's no midweek game we got a lot going on the american scotsville side of things uh we did start our patreon going finally uh took a bit longer than we hoped but we wanted to get all the programming and all that kind of stuff right uh so i will shoot the link in the chat as well uh but then if you guys do want to it's a good way to get involved get more content obviously support the website as well we were talking about this morning because we will talk later about some clickbait stuff uh we were talking about in the morning show how we go out of our way to avoid clickbait stuff here on American Scouts or in our posts and stuff like that. So we do rely on like, you know, people, the word of mouth, dragging by the ear uh, to follow American Scouts, as I like to say, uh, is what gets us going. But yes, a lot of specialty content. Actually, I'm pleased to announce, and this is what this whole thing is going over here with the headset. There's like a lot of mess going in front of me over here. Uh, we're going to actually add some gaming content with our with the Polish prince over here too. With gaming cocktails, which actually, now that I mentioned it, Bickler should probably in there as well. Yeah, see, like Bickler is like, wait, <laughs> this is such a bad idea. <laughs> I, I do, I love the idea of it. We're gonna play it's games bad, and we're gonna do a little. A we're gonna idea. do a little gaming. We're probably gonna just beat up on some twelve-year-olds around the world playing FIFA. But in addition to while we beat up on the twelve-year-olds, 
We're going to get belligerently drunk on air with you as we beat on your child. Like my favorite part would be like for an extra 13 bucks, we will beat your kid's ass to the point that they won't even talk to you. They won't make you go anywhere. You won't have to do anything. I will beat your kid in FIFA just to put them in their place. You know what? That would be actually a great service. Make the kids quit FIFA. Beat them to a pulp. Where is so that he can focus on the studies. Hey, Bickler has kids. I'm sure if we got on there and Did beat it. the hell out of the kids in Fortnite, not that we would be able to, <laughs> maybe they will quit. We keep talking about all these like ideas for growth and revenue and all these different options for us. And in like a 45 second span, Galleys went through starting another world war and beating on your kids. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know why this thing hasn't taken off yet. Like, <laughs> See, for 20, we will destroy their confidence so bad they will never play the game again, says Matush, because that's what. Dude, I wonder if my therapist will sponsor him. this. Uh, you know what? Why the hell not? Why the hell not? Uh, get everybody involved over here. You know, <laughs> a little I mean, cyberbullying link on the bottom. <laughs> if you are being bullied. Uh, no, actually, uh, we were talking about this in the morning, but if you're on Discord channel, uh, like after the. My 49ers lost in overtime in a painful, painful fashion over there. I literally posted and said, I feel bad for the next kid that shows up against me on FIFA. So as I'm beating up on that kid uh, <laughs> online, Anand volunteers his services to get beat up on. <laughs> so well, I had I, a little bit of fun with Anand as well. I will say, um, I didn't think I could be more disappointed in getting selections or picks wrong. Uh, taking the Niners and the under in a very large lucrative pool that if that had come in, it would have been great. But I'll tell you what, I've never disliked a douchey kicker and set up and holder more than the people in your San Francisco 49ers because Kelly and I were the firm holders of a $100 square of seven and three. And that missed field goal only cost us a cool $1,000. That's right, $1,000. So Kelly says to me, hey, don't we have seven, three? And I go, yeah. She goes, if the Niners get a touchdown and they score like a second later, she's like, oh my God, did we just win a thousand dollars? I'm like, as soon as that extra point goes through the upright, she literally says out loud, I've never been so excited for an extra point. I just started, I, I was like the mush in uh, that movie. You could just rip up the ticket. I started walking to the bathroom and she's like, next thing I know, I hear, fuck, shit, fuck. And I'm like, hey, hey great. Uh, so and now I know who what? to blame for this. Your guy's jinxing poor Michigan dude. I'm pretty sure yeah. it wasn't me jinxing the guy who missed as many kicks as he did all year long. But, man, I'll tell you what. You make that kick, I think you win that Super Bowl, to be Look, totally honest. I don't want to rub it in or anything, but he actually hadn't missed an extra point all year. Right. Yes. He didn't miss an extra point all year. He didn't miss some field goals. But to be fair to him, he didn't make some really uh, long field guys that kid is going to be that kid's so. going to be one of the best kickers ever kicked for san francisco but that just, sucks that sucks, that sucks. Just, so Ma, just so matush knows this had nothing to do with that this was a pool where the first 10 score changes paid a thousand dollars oh so really that seven that 17 13 was a guaranteed one thousand dollars coming in the pocket i know it wasn't ending that way but i was getting that money and I literally got about eight texts from people who clearly had a picture of it, checking on the status of me and my mental health for, for the next hour. So it's kind of like people coming out of the woodwork to help you with uh, beating down the children in fantasy soccer. Did you world see Galley from like 
It's a wonderful life as Jimmy Stewart just hanging out on the bridge. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, poor it was unbelievable. But well, it was not as what? painful as what losing in overtime, but it was a good game overall. No. And then you know what? I one thing I did miss, and I was telling to the stomatologist this morning too, is not having a, a therapy session afterwards, like you know, the post-match where you can kind of get it off the chest, finish it laughing. So that was my therapy is first beating up on some random dude or kids on FIFA, and then Anan coming up against me, of course, starting Thiago and Soboslaya Nunez, of course, it is 11 in Liverpool. And I've played many a teams. I've never seen anybody start Thiago when they pick Liverpool, but I knew Anand would. So give him credit. At least he puts his money where his mouth is kind of a deal. But at least there was some good sporting coming out of this weekend, uh, which is Saturday, which is when our boys get the three points. Um, when we talked about the lineup, obviously, Alisson was a surprise. For the most part, no other huge surprises. What did you make of that lineup and I guess the game overall, Bickler? How do you walk away from that fixture? I mean, I was a little bit worried about the right side of that, that lineup defensively, but um, I think – I mean, I always think these matches are going to be tougher than most people do. I know that Burnley is like a weak inside, especially offensively, right? But, like, I just think that these things are so – so it's so tough to just casually go in and roll a team, right? Like – and I think I think this is always going to be a little bit of a trickier fixture, especially with the people like we have out. And then you throw in those illnesses on top of it. Um, was it our best performance? Certainly not. I actually thought there was a lot of positives in this overall, though. And I thought like the team played fairly well. I thought they made some good good adjustments second half. I thought they closed out well. I thought we had substitutions that were impactful. There were a few standout performances, but I thought all across the board, I thought it was a better. I thought it was a better effort than a lot of people that I heard online talking about the match. So they give me the biggest positive that you took because you said there were a lot of positives. What was the biggest one for you? I mean, I think the biggest positive is that when the game needs to change or turn on its turn on its axis, the two key parts of that had to do with cornerstone pieces that we weren't sure we'd ever see long-term at Liverpool after last year. And, Curtis Jones becoming like the complete midfielder to the point that when there's a positional change and somebody is substituted, he is now in the James Milner role of being able to be rotated as a utility player, which is just bananas. And then Harvey Elliott, who for 15 minutes was the best player on the pitch by mile. How about you, Gally? What did you make out of that performance overall? So I was a little bit nervous with the lineup at first. I think, you know, it's weird saying I was nervous because our two starting fullbacks were put back in the starting lineup. And it actually did make me nervous because it had been a long time since, you know, those four, I don't know if those four have ever played together, to be honest, with Kwanzaa, Trent, and uh, Robertson back there. Um, I would have felt much better if Gomez had been playing, period, at any of the yeah. three positions, to be honest. Uh, over any of the other three, Trent, uh, Kwanzaa, or Robertson at this point. And I thought Curtis Jones was really good. And to Paul's point, how crazy is it that the idea is we need to break glass and in case of emergency? And the idea was Curtis Jones is the best defender we have. Like, that yeah. is crazy. He, the most, like, the most, you know, 
always going forward, trying to recreate the Everton goal. A guy I once saw do a Cruyff turn into an opponent on the sideline and then give up like a complete breakaway on his own goal. Um, yeah, that guy is slotting back in at right back is really, really amazing. I think Endo looked rusty. That's understandable when you drop him back into this side. I think Mac looked out of sorts going forward, and that's probably because he's been asked to play out of position all year long in our tactics. Um, I didn't think McAllister covered himself in much glory. I thought he was rough, especially on that right side. And I think it's still big that Darwin can score you a goal like he does, and I think it's huge for his confidence. He was a menace all game long, and I thought he did a lot of good things in the press. So, you know, Darwin and Jota playing well together, Diaz playing better. I thought the attack was good. I thought everything else was kind of just okay. But I think that's understandable when you have four of your five guys at the back rotated. See, I think that's interesting. I agree with a huge majority of it, except probably Endo. I actually thought he had like a really, really good game. It almost was like, this is what we missed is the feeling I got out of it. And I thought, now what is was my question? Like, do we, what do we do with McAllister? Because we know what he can do as well. What did you think of that midfield, Bickler? <clears throat> I thought Endo was great. I thought it was phenomenal. And I think it's even harder to come back and do that off an international break where the systems are different and you're coming, they get plugged right back into a lineup. Um, yeah. So, I mean, something like 21 duels or some, some crazy stat like that. He was just in the mix. Right. And I just thought he was just disruptive. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good to have a true number six, um, you know, agree with, agree with him being the, the option or not. I mean, it's good to have a true six and I think that's what he is, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I think McAllister, I feel the same way about McAllister as I felt about Sobo Sly. Like, I don't know that he's in his best position and I, I think that he looks like a player that could use a rest. I mean, but he's off the back of looking like a Rolls Royce the game before. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that's the thing with McAllister is we've got to find some consistency. I, you know, as, as protective as, as Klopp is with these players, I feel like it's sometimes at some point um, he hasn't really shown that. And maybe this is just the confidence he has in McAllister, but at, it doesn't seem to me that he's really protected the way that McAllister beds into the side. And I think part of that was on a necessity to begin with, but there does seem to be some reluctancy to push him further forward, which I know that we all want to see. And I think when he is pushed forward, we get a better version of that player. So we'll see what happens. I mean, a lot's going to have to do with what we do with Endo, right? But then you've got a lot of competition for spots. See, that's like the – I don't know. Do we create Do we create our own monster? I guess in this time of year, it's like a rare time, right? We only have like one game a week and stuff like that. We're going to be back to – having three games, but part of this inconsistency we get from players, including Maka, Subosly, Ando, you name it. And oddly, Jones is probably your most consistent, at least because he knows the system. So he knows where to be, what to do, and stuff like that. Oh, it's like the Batman signal. Uh, I We said Jones and good things about him because Sosaito is in the house. Uh, so that will come. He wanted to make sure he knew there was someone here. Who disagreed? <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, you know, going back to my point, I feel like did we create a monster by is it are these guys inconsistent, Galley? Because the lineup is not consistent. They're never getting a run of games, uh, if you will, with the same trio 
to be able to even get used to and give you a certain performance. Because, you know, one day he's over here with this guy, the next day he's over with this guy, but now they're switch positions and stuff like that. It's constant rotation. Is it almost like too much rotation? Yeah, I mean, have have we really been to too much rotation, though? Or is it really, it just feels in some ways like it's really just been McAllister and Endo kind of rotating at the six at times. When Sobosly has been healthy, he's started. And at most times when Jones is healthy, I feel like he's been starting. I I think what Klopp's tried to do is rotate in players he wants to bet in more, and it just hasn't worked. I think he's given Gravenberch random starts, and it hasn't – I don't think it's worked very well for him. And now I think we have injuries that are kind of compiling it. I, I'd almost wonder if it's more in the front three area where there's not been consistent run of guys playing together outside of maybe that short period where we saw Nunez, Mo, and Diaz playing for a while. And it started to look like that was going to be the front three. Um, and then even that changed a little bit because Nunez went off the boil and and then Mo went off to AFCON and then had his injury. So I don't know that we've, based on injuries this year, I don't know that Klopp has ever really had a chance to pick the same 11 for two, three matches in a row. So you're saying it's more out of necessity and just not. Yeah, I think the rotation has been, I don't think Klopp has changed that much. I think if he could still bury guys <laughs> and run them into the ground, he would be. Yeah, I mean, do you think so, Bickler? I mean, because is it just out of necessity we have to put people, like, out of position for one? I mean, that part obviously becomes out of necessity. But it's, like, it's been hard to get a consistent 11 going where, like, a set rotation, if you will, getting somebody else coming in for this guy and stuff like that. We just have not been able to do it, whether it's injuries, the cup, red card suspensions, and stuff like that. I guess moving forward, do you want to see more of this where... People get an opportunity to try to make most of it. Because let's face it, in the past, when we had like a more consistent 11, maybe at the time due to lack of depth more than anything else, right? Then we would go to like a League Cup game or an FA Cup game. And it would look really disjointed because there were so many changes and stuff like that. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, they're so disjointed because there are so many changes. I feel like at times it does look like that now. Because there are so many different parts, every 11, you look at this 11, and then next week you look at the next 11, there's like four guys changed. And that's actually a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly part of it. I, I agree with Galley, where I think that most of this is probably forced. Um, I guess I think if I was going to, like, look, and, you know, this feels silly to talk about on this last year, right? But, like, I think if I was going to change anything, what I'd like to see happen more is I'd like to see favored ele- like starting 11 players, like veteran players that have been around forever that have been in this locked in this starting 11 have to win jobs back. That, I think that's what I'd like to see. Like um, we talk about how like, you know, we kind of laughed about the fact that like, you know, no matter how good Connor Bradley was, Trent was going to walk back into that starting 11, but like, why do you know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and, and I know that trend has a very specific and, and very, like, very specific and very, like, incredibly high ceiling for the skill set that he has. Right. But I, I think I would just across the board would like to see uh, players hold on to spots and in, in, in C rotation, but really see more of it merit based first on. Sometimes it feels like a little bit like uh, there's a little bit of a, like, like that veteran sway like if they've got their stripes they kind of they kind of are locked into the 11 or at least into that 14 15 yeah that's gonna be one thing i do want to see like you know 
looking at Endo now, I mean, I find it hard to put Mac. I mean, I guess you're not going to have this problem for a while because Sobosla is not going to be in action for some time. But, you know, when he does come back, I find it hard to take Mac out if he's performing well and, you know, shift Endo to make room for Mac if Endo is performing well. But obviously, there's going to be a lot more midweek games and stuff like that. So rotation is going to be required. Going to the front three, though, I mean, if there is definitely one guy that just walks in, regardless of who's doing what. I mean, the current front three could be getting hat-tricks. We could be winning every game 9-0. I think when Mo comes back, somebody has to move. Who needs to move as of now, you think, Gally, looking at this current form? Because, I mean, we've been – I know you've been very critical of Diaz in the past. He seems to have, like, kind of figured it out more at these producing results, at least. Nunez, we talked about a little bit, and then Jota can finish. Jota does his job. I think I've always said this. Jota offers you the most from the bench, in my opinion, that he can. he's a match winner. He can do it in five minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. He doesn't need a ton of time to get going. Um, I think that if you believe in Darwin Nunez and the project that is, and Paul has talked about it, how we bought this raw talent that could immerse into this world-class footballer or just a, you know, a, a maniac that's fun to watch, right? And right now he's, he's a maniac that's fun to watch that has glimpses of brilliance. But I think you have to build on what he's giving you. And he's offering you all the little things and doing all the work to create more for his teammates. And and really, he's setting the press. So I, I think he plays. I, I think at this point, it'd probably be Diaz, Mo, and Nunez with Jota, the first one off the bench. And I really think like Gakpo is in like a crosshairs for himself. Like he's fallen really far down the depth chart. Even when he gets on there, he doesn't look confident at what he's doing. He almost looks like he gets in his own way sometimes. Um, and he's starting to do what Nunez used to do, which is try to make use of every minute on the pitch by shooting yeah. anywhere and everywhere. Um, and, and that's not a knock because I think he's a really great footballer. We're going to talk a little later about the managers and what could happen and all that. Paul talks about guys coming in and winning their job back. You know, we don't have to rehearse last week's like tit for tat that we had about who should be sold and who could be talked about being sold. But the truth of the matter is whoever the new manager is, there will be two or three names that we are absolutely shocked that they say that guy's not part of my plans. Like the next manager might walk in and say, Kanate does not have the skill sets I want in a center back or one that I want playing with Van Dyke. I'm not saying him specifically. But this happens everywhere where guys show up and they're like, not that player, not for me. And you're like, wait, what does Graham Potter know that I don't? Because that seemed like a pretty good player at Chelsea for the last manager. But they do this, right? Like they they decide this guy's not for me, even though he was a really, really good player. And I, I think that we're going to be shocked, but that's going to happen at this club. Like, And it might be a Robertson. It might be a, a you know, it might even be a McAllister. It might be a kid we all love or – Saudu doesn't and like Jones, like you never know what the new manager, because all of our players were built for Klopp's tactics because he's been here longer than every player, but Gomez, the new manager comes in, he's going to want to put his stamp and Connor Bradley might be the perfect right back for that formation or that style of play. And I, I just think we have to get ready for that. And I don't think anyone in this area is ready to not be nostalgic with Klopp or with any of these players that he had, because we like think of them like they're a big family, and that's wonderful. But like, players come and go; they're commodities. Do you guys re- do, do you guys remember that time that Jose Mourinho sold Juan Mata like three times? <laughs> like, and he kept going to clubs he was at and selling them. <laughs> like, 
And then he got the United. Like, like, like they made the announcement. Juan Mata was like, "Well, I guess it's package." Like, back up, honey. We're moving. <laughs> Jose is in town. They they did it again. You know what? That's uh, oddly that's happened to me once. Where uh, shout out to Kevin Moore over here, whose greatest line ever was, "It is what it is." And uh, I demoted this dude from like one of my stores uh, where I was like the general manager. He was like a horror manager at the time. I. I demoted him and then he went like to another store, like as an assistant. He moves back up, and then like literally six months later, I got appointed to be the store manager there. And the dude is like, Oh, you gotta be shitting me. This guy is here now. But honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened because I mean he never blamed me for the demotion one. And it was great to have a guy go around the store that I just took over and saying, Hey. This guy's not fucking around, man. He'll demote your ass. So make sure you guys do whatever is needed. So it was that golden way. Yeah, I remember one, but uh, the poor curse of Jose Mourinho. But I mean, here's the thing. I think, yes, system-wise, right, you would think there would have to be changes. I feel like sometimes, or not maybe sometimes, but I feel like a majority, I would say, of those changes that happen are to change a mindset. I think, you know, Paul, while the system might require some changes or that's not the kind of right back I need, that's not the kind of striker I need and stuff like that, at least you're not going to have an issue of coming in. Because sometimes managers come in and try to remove the cancer in the locker room that we might not know, fans might not know and say, dude, he's good. Why are we like getting rid of him? At least he's not going to have that issue. Or at least that we know of. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think part of that is just like, speaks to the character of the players that we acquire. Right. But I also think most of that is down to culture. And I think like, you know, over time, like culture erodes. And I think there could be a situation with the same guys, like say you have the same guys two years from now, could there be a problem? I think so. Like if you don't have the right manager in there that holds that team together, I mean, because at the end of the day, this is like a, like this is a team full of international captains there's going to be a lot of opinions on there's a lot of chefs in that kitchen. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, but there's one guy that keeps that thing all together. And I think it takes a really specific type of manager. And I think it takes a very specific level of experience to hold that together. So, I mean, great guys in that squad top to bottom from a character standpoint, but like, that's not a guarantee that some manager is going to come in and not have issues. Yeah, well, let's go shift over to that. I was going to ask you guys a couple more player performances, but we'll probably get to that as we try to make the starting 11 for like uh, the Brantford game. Xabi Alonso, obviously, the conversation is coming up. All the clickbaits. I mean, I saw every freaking clickbaits uh, Liverpool account on Instagram and stuff post that it was a done deal. Him and Klopp are making each other sandwiches. You name it. It was out there that it's pretty much a done deal. He's actually here. He's not even in Germany anymore, kind of a kind of like crappy rumors. But having said that, we never got a chance to talk about this. We talked a little bit about club leaving and what it meant to us, but it was like a hectic game schedule. And we kind of said, hey, when the time comes, we'll maybe shoot that around. Alonso, are you sold, Galley? And I mean, there is uh, so many Liverpool fans watching Leverkusen, like he's going to bring the entire 11 with him kind of a deal. And I don't even know if he's going to bring the same playing style or whatever, but are you sold on it as a name or as experience in terms of what he brings. All right. So he's having great success 
at Bayern Leverkusen, and he had in a moderate amount of success last year as well. <clears throat> and I think he should be really, really proud of what he's doing. And if they hold on to win that league, it will be very, very impressive. And I know I've had a little, you know, insert foot and mouth, which I'm very good at in our Discord channel about five minutes before the Bayern game when I said, I feel like today's the day where the bloom comes off the rose and Munich starts to charge towards their title. And then they went out and got and laid an egg and should have lost 5-0 and only lost 3-0. Um, that being said, I'm still not thoroughly convinced that he won't do the same thing that Arteta did last year when the pressure got tough and the team that knew how to win was bearing them down. And, you know, sphincters get tight and all of a sudden you make a bad call or two and a bad sub and a bad tactical move and you lose points you shouldn't. And all of a sudden there's pressure that you don't know how to deal with. If you think that pressure is difficult being the second team in, you know, or third or fourth team in the in the Bundesliga and coming to Liverpool and doing it under the red hot light of being an ex-player, a great player, and also one that has to replace the best manager the club has had in 50 years, 30 years, whatever it is, I, I think it's just too much to ask of a guy with his tenure. There is a reason that he was coaching uh, in the B division in Spain less than two years ago. He has a lot to learn. There's also rumors that Bayern's interested in him and that he's made it clear that his dream job someday is Real Madrid. So those jobs become available. I don't want a manager who's going to be here for two or three years because I don't ever want to go back to being somebody's stepping stone to the next step of their career. And I think the next guy who comes, we should be trying to hire someone to be here for the same five to eight years that we you know, originally signed with the mentality of having Klopp here. They pick up what he built and they build something new. And I'm not sure that Alonzo's ready for it yet. But I know that that's, I'm in the minority on the, in this camp. Yeah, I'm kind of like torn on it, to be honest with you, because I understand the point of him not having a lot of experience. Um, I think one thing he has, I mean, everybody's going to have the same disadvantage, right? Everybody's going to be following Klopp. So automatically, everybody starts at a disadvantage. One thing I think Alonso has, uh, which I understand what Yali is saying in terms of pressure, Bickler, but being an ex-player and being a really good ex-player, part of like, you know, title winning teams, you know, like cup winning teams, buys you a lot more time that an other manager, even if they have more experience, will not get just because... I mean, like, look at Ole at United, for example. When you're an ex-player, you automatically, there's a built-in grace period because we kind of associate our player memories and it gets mixed in with our manager memories we have of you and we can't, fans find it hard to separate. What do you take of Alonso? I mean, can you take advantage of that and kind of blend in eventually? Because any, it's going to be a difficult task for anybody to find follow club, regardless of where it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really not a fan of hiring ex-players as managers because I just don't like to have my former version of players sullied by, like, yeah. what happens down the road. So it makes me nervous. What I do like about Javi uh, is that he's still young. And, like, I think what is impressive with him is that no matter where he is, if you look at where he's been and what he's done and coming through into what he's doing now, there is an identifiable brand of football that he likes to play. And that's really important to me because that means that he sets a team up based on a vision. And I think that sounds really like elementary and stupid, but I think a lot of managers don't do that. I think a lot of managers come in 
in our design to go ahead and get the best out of what's there already. And so if you're looking for a manager, like Gally said, to come in and actually build for the future, I think he does like look like he may be that type of manager to go do that. I think the more interesting thing for me is if, if he's able to pull this off in, in Bayern go through the season and don't win the title, this be, this is like a 140 year drought, uh, like a 140 year consecutive season like that gets snapped by Bayern where they don't win. Like this would be the first time in like 140 plus years they don't win anything in a year. And the so then we first. and then we need to start like talking about Kane. we need Harry to King start first. talking about Harry Kane in the same breath as we talk about the goat in Chicago with the Cubs and the curse of Babe Ruth. Like <laughs> he needs to enter that conversation if that happens. And I'm being dead serious because that is and, wild. And the crazy part is is this is literally the same guy who is literally going there and going to set the record for the most goals ever in a single season in the Bundesliga. He's breaking all of Lewandowski's records at the club. They actually say he's like the best soldier. He moved his whole family there. Like he's learning German. They love him. And you literally, you're just thinking to yourself, like I couldn't even imagine, like I can just imagine that Babel app. That Babel app just trying to trying to respond to Harry Kane's like marbles in his mouth as he speaks in German to the phone. Like, how do I go to the bathroom? And they're like, where do you want to go in Russia? What is going on? Um, but I could totally see that mouth breather just like walking through that locker room. And at some point, Leroy Sané is just going to punch him right in the mouth. You know it's coming. Um, well, but Sané was not there to do it. So. <laughs> I won't be surprised at all, though, if – if uh, Thomas Tuchel gets bombed and they come looking for Xavi at Bayern. And here's the thing. You have you have to think about this if you're Xavi Alonso. Like, do you want the Liverpool job, which could go well and could soil things? Do you want the Bayern job where you know they're going to just spend a shit ton of money and rebuild everything and you do have a good youth system coming through? You already know you're the only team in that league. Like, these guys... Anyone who takes the Liverpool job is voluntarily signing up to basically battle uphill and fight City and Pep for anything that they move forward. So I think there is something that also will go into the mindset. Like, I don't know that everyone offered this job will say yes. And I don't think that would have been the case before Klopp was here. Anyone offered that Liverpool job would have snapped at the chance. I'm not sure everyone offered this job will take it this time around. I think it's because, you know, they know the pressure of filling the shoes in, whereas it was a win, win, win before, like, when Klopp came in. I See, the Bayern situation makes it interesting. We were talking about this morning, you know, would he wait another year and go to the Real Madrid job or whatever? But I feel like if you do something at Leverkusen, you get the hell out of there. You don't stay in the scene of crime. Uh, once you win something, you get the hell out. Because you know Bayern is going to walk back in there and say, ah, oh, good job, guys. Uh, so we'll take this guy, this guy, this guy to our team. And then next year, we'll win the title because they can get whoever they want out of Germany over there. And you don't want your stock level, which is high. I mean, I think Brian was mentioning that he's like, you know, the flavor of the month manager. You know, now you're at your peak. You don't want to have a year where you lose a couple of guys, whether it's to Bayern or to another team from Leverkusen who does not have the same budget as a lot of the bigger clubs, and then have a down year, and then now your stock really, really goes down. So 
I guess if is there another name than Bickler that you're like, I would rather have this. I guess I'm personally having a trouble picking that person. So out of like the what's on the table, I'm like, well, I guess I'll take Alonzo to go. Uh, is what I'm doing right now. I mean, we're uh, that's what we're all talking about, right? Like, no matter what happened, it's going to feel like a very significant downgrade. Um, I think the only other name that's kind of really out there, that Nagelsman, that does, like, it makes sense to me. Like, I can see that one. Like They, they tried to hire him. They tried like, to hire him before. It makes sense. That I, I don't know. Like, I, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but that makes sense to me. If, uh, let's do the, if Alonso was your son... <laughs> game that we play with players in the past if alonzo is your son there bickler which you make you really old as old as i am uh what do you recommend that he does stick around wait for the real job if that's what you really want see if you can finagle something to Bayern. of course this is all assuming they do not have a dortmund like collapse that happened at the end of last season if if alonzo's dream job is to to coach real i don't know why coming to liverpool makes sense I just – I don't because you basically – you risk your past on an uncertain future that you don't really want. Like, like for me, it's like to me, like if I was his dad, like I'd be like, you know, fly the coop and, and go into like um, – go into one of the dark horse teams in La Liga. Like at least manage in the league you want to be in. You know, like that. that's what I would do. So that like if he does take another team in La Liga that challenges like – He's in line for when that that spot opens. His family's all there. They're settled in the area. Like they're relatively close. You can get anywhere in Spain in like six hours by train. Like that's what I would do. See, while I get that, I don't know. I feel like you gotta almost. I mean, think about it this way. I think we mentioned the name Gerard this morning, right? Two seasons ago, it was Gerard or Pep was like the biggest argument of like the successor to Klopp before that extension and stuff like that. I mean, one poor season, that conversation is out the door. And that can happen to any manager. And that's not why I think, Galley, that, you know, if I'm also, I'm, like, trying to – and Real is not available. And, you know, obviously this is a very attractive position as an ex-player. I'm jumping at the opportunity to go to Liverpool or Bayern and getting the heck out of Leverkusen. Like I say, like, leaving the scene of the crime uh, before something bad happens. Oh. I totally agree with that, but I'll ask you this. If you had the option between being at the biggest club in Germany that really doesn't have to compete across boards based on rules and or being the sixth highest, the sixth lowest spending team in the Premier League over the last 10 years, net spend, which one would you go to when you also have to challenge with Arsenal City, eventually Chelsea coming back, United's new ownership, Spurs spending money, a new resourceful Villa side, and the Sovereign Wealth Fund that owns Newcastle. Like, coming to the Premier League right now, people don't realize the job Klopp's done. Like, and I think that's what I'm mostly starting to, like, realize as I think about preparing for life after Klopp, is, like, if it wasn't for Jurgen Klopp and him creating a mindset at Liverpool that they could compete and there were no excuses for not competing with City, this would be the French League, and City would have won six or seven league titles on a 10 to 15-point walk. Yeah, Like, we could be staring at the best league in the world, the most competitive league in the world, 
and we'd literally be a farmers league. We'd be league up. If it wasn't for yeah, it would be competitive for Champions League spots. That'd be about it. And and that's all they have, right? What do they yeah. talk about in France? They talk about whether yeah. Monaco can finish third. They don't talk about whether or not. And then yeah. once every 20 years, Lille pops up and wins the league. Or Monaco has an amazing guy like Mbappe. And then what does PSG do? They buy the players. Just like some, you know what's going to happen? Alonso going to go to Bayern, and then he's going to bring the Leverkusen team with him. Yes. And that and would be my be thing, because it'd be like, here. I'll bring the key guys that brought me here, there kind of thing. And, you know, he he's played there as well, so he has ties to that club as well. So it does make sense. Like I said, I did not realize Bayern was in the equation. And obviously, if they win the title, it would be a thing. But if they do not win the title, I don't think that becomes a conversation because Bayern is not going to probably go after a guy who they beat on their way to the title. Uh, but Bickler, did you have a name in mind? I really don't know what's going to happen here. Like, if I had to pick anyone, it'd be Nagelsmann. But, like, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. And, and why, and why Nagelsmann? Let me ask you that. Why Nagelsmann? <clears throat> I think there's a little bit of consistency in philosophy between, like, the the idea of a gang and press and, like, just the way they – organized defensively i think there are some similarities there's still in his system there is still an emphasis on winning the ball in the final third like i i think there are just a lot of things that sort of are variations on themes that are core to this team already yeah that makes sense more like almost like continuity without continuity kind of an ordeal do you guys see any crazy scenario galley where like they said, well, we want to start from scratch, but not that we would not consider Pep. No, I, I think they told Pep he wasn't in consideration, which is why he miraculously announced he'd be leaving too with Klopp. Like, it was almost like it was like, no, we're all leaving. We're leaving together. The band is leaving. And it's like, well, we didn't offer you a job or a place at the table, so that's why you're also leaving. I think Pep knows he wasn't getting this job. And I think he was angling to get this job. And I think Klopp was trying to help him get this job. And I think they decided, George, Schmacke, you're out. Klopp's leaving. The staff's leaving. We're bringing in a new director of football, new scouting department, a whole new coaching and training staff. And we're, we're tearing this thing up from the ground up. Like, I know people, like, at first it was all deserve and there's some people that think it would be like a really great appointment because of what he did at Shakhtar and like the tactical now he's shown and done with less talent his whole entire career, to be fair, even yeah. at what Empoli. And then he went to Shakhtar Donetsk. People forget that that terrible Shakhtar team went in and took out the title holders at Real Madrid, winning an away game to seal promotion to the round of uh, the quarterfinals. Like Deserby got the Brighton job and Brighton got better. I know they're struggling now, but they've had also a dip of injuries and players. Um, what Deserby brings is the same personality, temperament, and fire that I think the supporters would be able to rally around. I always question whether you need to change the type of man when you have a man as dominant as Jurgen Klopp. I feel like you almost have to go the opposite way um, just to kind of change it up. But I think Deserby is an interesting one 
because I think he has an eye for talent and he knows how to coach. Um, I think that is a lot more important. And the idea that Allen would say, no, he blew it last night. Um, Like literally yet we're giving Alonzo what he's done off like 48 months of total big boy coaching, doing it in two leagues. Like I, I don't understand where we build up certain ones and we knock other ones down. Deserby's got so much more in his CV. I think he would be an interesting one. And I know that I forget who it was recently said it. Um, if Liverpool has the chance to hire Deserby and doesn't, don't, or they're basically were like, don't look for any sympathy when he walks into Man City and doesn't lose again as he replaces Pep. Because if you gave that guy that level of talent, they actually believe he'd do more with that squad than Pep. There are some people that believe Deserby is like the brightest mind, one of the brightest young minds in the whole game. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that Lalana, Milner, and all the ex-Reds are already dropping all these wonderful tidbits out in the media of what a wonderful guy and how smart he is and tactical he is. Um, cause I think they're campaigning cause I think Deserby's made it known. He wants this job. He feels can, like this is an opportunity for him. And so I would be not be against that at all. I mean, I don't, yeah. I'll be honest, maybe because it's the Klopp effect. None of the names I see are like, yes, gotta have him. I think Alonso is like a very emotional pick foremost. I don't think we're looking at, the. Uh, like the resume, nobody's looking at the well, resume. They're just like, it, well, it's time to end the show when Saidu likes what Galley said. So we'll wrap it up. Thank say, you, everybody. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna say, we shouldn't bring God into any of this because I will say this. I saw a great meme online today, and it was something along the lines of like, if you have to pay whatever whatever it was they paid for those ads last night, it was like millions and millions yeah. of dollars of people to basically find <laughs> Jesus. You're basically reading from the wrong book. Like, because last night, that was the weirdest thing. I was like, of all the Super Bowl commercials, I didn't think Jesus was going to come in with, like, the second highest paid spot of the night. Like, that wasn't the second highest paid spot of the night? Yeah, yeah. Jesus came that's in, crazy. ranked number two. It was, like, behind, like, a Coke ad. And you think, of course, it's Coca-Cola. They do this every year. Jesus was like, you know what? Taylor Swift's coming to the Super Bowl. So am I, people. So no. am I. Amazing what you can do when you're not taxed. Yeah, yes. I, it was great. Point. Yeah, I saw so much talk. Yeah. The only funny thing is it took more talk away from like the Taylor Swift thing on the Super Bowl. I thought more people were talking about the commercial and you know why it was then all that kind of stuff. Before we move to the Banter game, though, let me get your take on Pep as well. Do you see a scenario, Paul? Or because I don't know if Pep is like Klopp is leaving, he's my ride. I gotta go to then to see the designated driver, but then he would be co- like, let's start over and then we'll interview. Or, yeah, he's gone. Basically, he was told nah, he's not I, really. They don't think he's a good assistant, and the good assistant doesn't always make a good manager. I think that ship has sailed just in the fact that, like, I think they want to do a culture flip. I think that, like, Jurgen is such a strong personality and he's endeared himself to so much the fabric of the city that, like. You almost can't do a half clop. You can't do you. You yeah. can't have you can't have leftover regime. I think is what they're thinking. Like I think this needs to be a clean start, a clean slate. And in fairness to anybody who gets this job, that's probably in their best interest, including Peps. Yeah, I think so too. And I like I say, I know people are like continuity and stuff like that, but that's not always. Making the manager the big man is not always 
doesn't bring continuity and bring success because some people are great managers really shitty when they're in charge because they're just like you know that's their role is being the assistants uh being the bridge between the players and doing the tactics and not showing up to every press conference and answering the same questions and stuff like that so yeah it'll be interesting to see like i say i'm sure we'll get more i think it's right now makes a lot better clickbait so you get a lot more alonzo news because obviously people are more connected to him uh but that might change as we go i just hope that it kind of gets resolved sooner than later because as much as i hate january transfer window and those rumors this has become the entire freaking spring now is what we're going to see with like manager rumors but let's get to the brantford game real quick uh don't have a lot of time left but galley give me your like what do you expect to see is it the same starting 11 trotting out there minus trends obviously uh or are you making any changes i mean allison i guess too i mean allison will come back in if he's healthy obviously Kanate will come back in from suspension. I expect that. You know, this is going to be an interesting week because we have Brentford and then we have Luton midweek and then we have a, a cup final four days later. So, you know, there's going to have to be some rotation between these three matches. I think what we see on Saturday is the best 11 that Klopp has available to him because I think it's who starts the cup <clears throat> final. Um, maybe Connor Bradley could start at right back in this matchup because he's healthy again. But I think Gomez will play it right back in the cup final. I, I just, it really comes down to whether he wants to roll out Robertson two or three times in a week. And in that case, you know, Simicast is back, but he hasn't gotten a run yet. But I think midfield, it's, I think it's what we saw on the weekend. I think it's Endo, McAllister, and Jones. I think it's really hard on Harvey Elliott that he doesn't get a start, but maybe he'll get the start against Luton. And then up top, I would I would go with the same front three. I'd go with Jota, Nunez, and Diaz because they give you the best chance at early goals, and early goals gives you the best chance at rotation. Yeah, I think you know, like Harvey, especially. I mean, the impact he made, impact he has made. I thought it was. I still find it shocking that Gravenberg got the start over him, and I think looking back, Klopp might be saying, "Yeah, that was a mistake himself as well." And I, it's, and he almost came in like an angry guy trying to prove a point, and he definitely did. I think against Burnley, so it'll be interesting to see how well he fits into the rotation. How about you, Bickler? I mean, we talked about Burnley not being as effective going forward. Brantford is, and they have some, you know, they have weapons going forward, obviously, 20 and stuff. But does that force almost Gomez to start this one over Bradley if both are available? I don't think so. Uh, I think I like the lineup that Galley was talking about. Uh, and, and in some aspects, I think, Harvey almost suits the Luton match better um, just in terms of what that match will demand from, from that midfield. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing you got to watch, and I think this is probably why Kanate coming back is key is that Brentford hits you over the top with pace. So especially with Tony back, I mean, that's what they do. So <clears throat> you got to watch the long over the top diagonal with Brentford. Um, they killed us. I, I want to say it was like, I think it was like last year they killed us. Well, it was one game. It was like some crazy 2-2 match. They just did it over and over again. So I think Hanade coming back is big for that because he does give you some more of that top-end pace when you pair him with Verge um, and allow those pieces to almost move interchangeably. Um, but I also think that's why it's a nervy game for me to have Trent there. Just because like if he gets lost in space, you really open yourself up to that huge diagonal they can hit. Um, it, you know, they've got a slew of Danish players that will just ping it over the top to Tony and, and, and be in trouble. Yep. 
Was there any update on Trent's injury? If he's out for any period of time, is he going to be back on the weekend? Like, is I I kind of saw it as you take him off at halftime because he felt something, and it was a recurrence of the knee injury that probably meant at least a week or two out. Is there talk that he might be That's ready for Brentford? What I assumed as well. I guess we'll find out more throughout the week about how much he practices and stuff like that. But I take it as yeah, if you're taking somebody out at halftime. And most likely, you had the same thing with Savosla. You brought these guys a little bit earlier than you probably should have. I know in Trent's case, you almost had to, even though you could argue he could have put brought Robertson back, who was not coming from a muscle injury, and then put Gomez at right back if need be. But you can say maybe, okay, Trent kind of like forced it, uh, but still, we brought these guys too early. I would assume, Gally, that having learned that lesson, uh, we will wait to make sure they're 100%. And it could be a game where... Like, he might come in the last 20, 30 minutes of the Luton game and then start the cup final or something is what I'm envisioning. But I, we're not gonna, I, don't, I haven't seen any, like, injury updates online either. So probably won't find I out. I was just wondering because I, I didn't see anything. And I, that, to me, is a big one, though, because if you got Bradley and Gomez, you know, you're, you're in good shape. You're better off than you were two months ago, and we didn't know if we had a backup right back, you know, because it was Calvin Ramsey, and then we realized quickly he was a hologram. Um, but uh, I, I think that you realize quickly, like there are areas of this team that you have depth and there's areas you don't. And it'll be interesting to see what Klopp does. Like, does, does he, you know, does he play Gomez at left back throughout this week? Does he play Robertson one game and Simicast the other and then go to Robertson in the cup final? Like if Joe Gomez doesn't start at Wembley, there's something so wrong with this season, in my opinion. Is you're playing a team like Chelsea, you need one of your best defenders and I'd argue, outside of Jones, you could argue that, like, Joe Gomez and Virgil and Allison and, and Jones are, like, the four players of the year so far for this club. Like, what they've done for this side, and, and all of them, including Virgil, by the way, because he's instilled the confidence back that everyone can be their best at defense because he picks up the pieces, which I think let Gomez be a marauding left back at times, like, yes. even though he doesn't have a left foot on his body. I do will say, I thought it was a birthday gift to you in the post-match when asked um, how Curtis Jones did. And I can't believe no one made a graphic of this either uh, from the presser comments, but they asked like, how do you think Jones did? And he's like, I thought he did great. I mean, we had to change our tactics a little bit. It wasn't fair to ask him to play an inverted right back position. And I think the person followed up and was like, could anyone but Trent play that position? And I was waiting for you to be like, should Trent even be in that position? <laughs> but it was it was perfect because it was your birthday and the world gave you a Timuchin special on your birthday. Yes. And I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't give you an overtime victory last night. I know, weekend, I know. But the Swifts are in town, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, we can rejoice in that. Yeah, it was the disappointing end to an awesome weekend overall. But yeah, I that's why I feel like I hate to say it, man. And you know, I'm not gonna go out and say like let's sell him so that because that knows the hate mail. Let's not do that again, here. please. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, but I would I hate much. to say it, but I'm almost glad, especially because of Brentford and because of the reasons Victor was referring to earlier. I'm almost glad. He's not going to be starting this game. I would feel more comfortable uh, Gomez actually starting this game uh, as a right back or Bradley and stuff. Yes, thou shall not pick on Trent. I don't think anybody picks on Trent more than I do, but hey, I'll I'll go with that. Um, yeah, 
Who's Calvin Ramsey and Thiago and Basetich? Thiago is well in a lot of people in Anand's FIFA team. That's the only place I saw. It's like FIFA zombie mode, I was telling him, is the only thing I can think of it there. You but have to... He had to have gotten hurt five minutes into it, though, right? Like, he went down holding It's the FIFA, hamstring. dude. It's not that realistic. <laughs> uh, What's his fitness really? rating? Like, 24? Is he, like, by halftime, is he an orange? <laughs> like, you have to sew him my app? Or he pulls a, a hammy by the 16th minute? I mean, that would only be... That would only be slightly unrealistic, seeing that he made 11 minutes against Arsenal before a muscle injury. No, it's not that realistic. We were scoring goals with Nunez. Nobody hit the post and stuff. Hey, he made it through through pregame. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, he started the game. Better than the Champions League final. Yeah, I mean, it was. I'll be honest. I played this game probably more than I should. And, you know, you go against a lot of Liverpool, a lot of PSG, and a lot of France and stuff like that. Uh, and I've played Liverpool a bunch of times. I don't think I've ever seen anybody have Thiago starting in their 11 out of that. But, hey, like I say, Amazing. man, you got to give it to the guy. He sticks to his guns. And I, I was actually, like, respect. I left and then ran around Thiago multiple times <laughs> with my midfield. Uh, but I was at the same time, I was like, I respect that. I do respect that. Okay, let's wrap it up with some predictions, as always. Bickler, Brentford. Away, what happens? Two one Liverpool. Ah, God, it's too painful. Go ahead. Let's do it too much in special. It'll be my birthday. Nah, again next I, week. I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of with Paul. I'm gonna say it's even dicier. I think it's a one nothing Liverpool victory, and it is brutal and brutal as brutal can be. I just think that we are able to hold them down, kind of confuse them a little bit, and keep. Ivan Tony in check. And if you can do that right now without Emblemo, you're in decent shape against that side. Um, but we can't give up one of these like weak set piece goals because that will be what undoes us against this team. They will try to bully us at their in their building. We got to make sure and not play that type of football. And we need to just play real football. When we play that way against them, we usually do well. We play their games, we usually get slugged. Shelton has two one and three zero at the same time. That's I don't know. How, oh, and then he's, he's given us the Luton match. He, oh, he okay. settled down on two one at the end. He was like, I don't know, two one three zero. I'll go with two one. Uh, I'm going with a crazy game on this one. I'm going with the four two. It's like the Timuchin special plus one, if you will. If wow. you supersize the Timuchin special, uh, you get a four two. Uh, I'm going with that. I I don't see us shutting them out, uh, but I do see us scoring against them. So. Uh, let's hope for another win because it is a tough like on paper these games are games that you should get three points from but this is where we normally fail so let's get the three points from these tough games and then let the rest sort itself out i think we still we laughed a lot i mean a lot of people laughed a lot about like city everton will everton be able to get anything from them and stuff and they almost did so i don't think we're going against the same city team and so anybody can lose points you gotta get uh, the li- oh, Shelton has already predicted the Luton game, and I, I I can't look that far ahead. Uh, let's just get this one first. One game at a time, Brian. That's why we're all around here. Uh, one game yeah, at a time. The manager's going to yell at you. What the hell? Yeah. Do you not listen to Klopp? We don't think about the cup final. <laughs> we're not even worried about the cup final. We still have to play Brentford and Luton. And when we play Brentford, we can't talk about the cup final. No one's worried yes. about the cup final. No one is afraid of getting hurt on Wednesday. They all want to play. Because all they care about is winning the Luton match. Then we'll worry yes, about Sunday. 
that's the way to that prices never depend on ever. I wasn't, but you know, I feel like any game there's always a chance in the Premier League, and that's why I think you know, no game. I mean, look at this Burnley game. I know on paper we thought it was going to be an easy three points, but nothing is easy in this league, and that's why I think one of the reasons the league is actually what it is. But on that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks to all as always for liking, following. There should be a bunch of buttons you can hit on the bottom over there. Do not forget to like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Spread the word. Don't make us bring out rumors about Alonso coming with Mbappe and stuff like that to get some clicks. So help us out with actual factual news by sharing and liking and dragging somebody by the ear so they follow us as well. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care.